Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon is from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Easter's a real wonderful celebration, hey? It's interesting how Easter hasn't lost uh, its significance quite as much as Christmas has. Just thinking about uh, the holidays that we get to enjoy um, and, and Christmas, the, the hype around Christmas is astronomical, uh, but it hasn't quite been stolen away from Easter in the same way that it, it has from, uh, from Christmas. And we share and enjoy uh, a little chocolate Easter egg, not because that is spiritual, just because it's a celebration and we get to celebrate. You can interpret it any way you want. Um, I know that there are those who, who feel very strongly about uh, we shouldn't use anything that has any connection to anything pagan. I respect that, uh, particularly if it's been a part of your truth. Previously, Jesus is Lord. That's an absolute statement. And Easter reminds us he is alive. There is no other great sage that claims to have died and still be alive except Jesus. And I don't know that he really claims to be a great sage in the, in the traditional sense, but he's alive. So welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Welcome to Easter Sunday. This morning I want to take a a slightly non-traditional look at Jesus' resurrection in the flow of salvation history. And if those are all big words, hopefully we'll unpack some of what it means as we go through this morning. So I want to continue in the book of Acts that we started a couple of weeks ago and see how Easter is the catalyst for Pentecost. A catalyst is a chemical compound that enables two others to react. So you can put certain chemicals together and they don't react until you put that magic ingredient in, until you put that catalyst in. And I want to suggest to you that Easter is the catalyst for Pentecost. Without Easter, without the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification of Jesus, Pentecost has no meaning. It's also true, interestingly enough, the other way around. That without Pentecost, Easter has no meaning. And I'm going to get to that just now. And that's, a, that's quite a hectic uh, thing to claim, but we're going to get there. I want to also suggest to you we can look at some scriptures in a second, that this is what God always had in mind. Easter and Pentecost, or if you put it in the Jewish context that Jesus was living in, Passover to Pentecost. So a good place for us to start today is at the end. And that's, 
in the book of Revelation. I want to read a scripture to you from Revelation 13, verse 8. So it's going to be a little bit of a, of a teaching, but I want to establish something in our hearts that comes out as a direct result of Resurrection Sunday. So Revelation 13, verse 8. All the people who belong to this world worship the beast. Isn't that a great scripture? Not exactly, hey? They're the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. If uh, I don't know what version, if you're reading along with me, you're reading. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of variations on this particular verse that uh, talk about, and it depends where the emphasis goes. Is it on Jesus being the one who was the lamb slaughtered from before the foundation of the world? Or is it on the fact that our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world? So that's the emphasis more that the ESV has, and the NIV and the NLT and some others have this the emphasis more on Jesus, that it was God's way. And I'd like to suggest, and we're going to read a few more scriptures, that that's the better emphasis in terms of translating this. Because it's all about Jesus. Francis Schaeffer, my namesake, Francis, who unfortunately went to be with Jesus the year that I came to know Jesus, he said this, there is a flow to history. I've always found that phrase incredibly profound. There is a flow to history. History is not static. It's not, as the great historical theoreticians said, that history is continually repeating itself. Yes, there are cycles that repeat itself. And it's not, it's not wrong to say that because we don't learn from history. But that's not the whole truth. History is going somewhere. It started somewhere, and it's going somewhere, and it's not accidental. So you can actually see this if, if you look for yourself in the, in, in the flow of history. And one of the, the easiest places to see that historical flow is, if you read your Old Testament, it was going somewhere. God took a, ra took a family then that family became a large group of people in Egypt. And then he led them out of Egypt and he gave them a national identity. Having had a national identity, he gave them a land. In the midst of that, he gave them a king. I've just been reading through Samuel myself over the last couple of weeks and that, that process has come to me again. But he gave them a king. And the purpose of that king the purpose of the nation, the purpose of the national identity, the purpose of all these things that he had built bit by bit was all leading up to Jesus. And this is going to sound horrible and heretical, but Jesus wasn't the end of the story. What I actually mean is Jesus' first coming was not the end of the story. Jesus' first coming that ended not with the cross but with the ascension was the next step in his story being unfold, un, yes, unfolded amongst us. So 
I just want to read you a couple of other scriptures to refocus us on what, what I'm trying to focus on this morning, lest I get sucked into one of my famous rabbit holes. So 1 Peter 1 verse 20 says this, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Peter is saying that God had a plan. It was a plan wrapped up in Jesus, and it was a plan that he knew before there was a now, i.e. before there was time. It's interesting, the scripture never gives us any specific uh, clue about whether time was created. Um, and I've heard some very interesting theories over the years about what time is in terms of, of God's creation. The, the funniest, no, not the funniest, the most interesting is that time might be an attribute of God. That fascinates me. But there certainly, before there was anyone else to perceive that there was a flow to history, God formulated his plan. He formulated his plan and it was focused in Jesus. And he revealed Jesus. In other words, everything that came before then was leading up to this point. And everything that came after this was flowing from this point, the revelation of Jesus. Jesus coming in the flesh. And if that is the central focus of what we believe, how we worship, how we understand God and our relationship to Him, then we are part of that divine plan. It is a wonderful, clear, logical, reasonable implication of what He's saying. Let me give you some more scriptures. So Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He chose us in him. Some of the older versions say, he elected us. And if you've been exposed to that teaching uh, about election, this is one of the scriptures that, that reinforces that. But the focus is always on Jesus. Notice that it's, we are important and significant and we have meaning and focus and direction because we are in him. And of course, that phrase in Christ, which is not used here because it's said it twice in the verse before, <laughs> is a major theme of Ephesians. I think it occurs about 14 times in the six chapters of Ephesians. Being in Christ, what gives us security, what gives us meaning, what enables us to be part of this flow of history, be part of this purpose and plan of God is being in Christ. So God's plan has always been focused in, centered around, worked out in and around Jesus. Just think a little bit about the plan and purpose of God. It was perfected before the foundations of the cosmos were laid. Before the Lord thought up physics and cosmogony and all these other big words that are enough to give us, yes. The Lord had already perfected a plan 
in Jesus. What's also amazing is he counted the cost for working out that plan before he created the universe. This incredible cost that we talk about in the cross of Jesus. It's, it's a cost that we can understand but never, never fathom the depths of. It's a cost that we are reminded of every, every time we come and we ask him for forgiveness. And he so quickly and readily gives it to us. It's a cost that he has already thought through in great detail and depth and said, I'm prepared to pay that to bring about this purpose and plan that I have for my creation. So this is the basis of our security. This is the basis of how we can have confidence and boldness, which is a major theme of the book of Acts, being bold. And they prayed in the place where they were shaken, where they were meeting was shaken, and each of them was filled with boldness. Our confidence and our boldness is based in Jesus. You know, when God made, made his covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep, but allowed him to see what he was doing as if in a dream. Why? I don't know if you've ever asked that. Why? Why did he do that? I think it's Genesis 17. Why did he do that? Because he wanted Abraham to be aware that he was establishing a covenant, but he did not want him to be responsible to participate. Because if he did, he had a responsibility which the Lord knew he would be unable to fulfill even the very least. So therefore, God established a covenant on behalf of Abraham for his benefit with him being in a dream, semi-conscious. And Abraham had confidence in, the, in that because God took the full responsibility for keeping the covenant on himself. That's exactly the same kind of covenant that the new covenant is. There are other covenants that, uh, that we read about, especially through the Old Testament, which were quite different. Both parties had responsibilities. I mean, that's a normal covenant. But the new covenant was also a covenant that God made with himself on our behalf, and he made it in Jesus. So our confidence in coming into the presence of God is because we are in Christ, in Jesus, because it's not dependent on our um, performance, on our goodness, even on our badness. It's dependent on Christ. And every time that we let the focus slip to us, which is a natural, dare I phrase it like that, it is our natural in the sense of sinful nature tendency to allow us to become the focus. Every time we allow that, and we, we kind of like to call it dethroning Jesus. Fortunately, he doesn't fall off the throne. We just lose sight of it. Every time we enthrone him, fortunately, we don't put him back on the throne. We just recognize it. It comes to us again as revelation. 
we find this confidence again and we recognize that we are part of God's flow in history. So there is a flow to history and we can be part of it when, we're, when, we're, when it's all about Jesus. So I want to start applying this specifically to Jesus at Passover. So we pick up the story on Friday afternoon after Jesus has died. In Luke 23, I'm going to read you from verse 50. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. I can't help this little sidetrack. The, the, the role of women in the New Testament is it, it, it's astonishing because it gives such dignity, honor, and such uh, precedence to, to women over and over again. If you look carefully, who is it who has, excuse my French, the bulls, to follow after Jesus is dead and find out where Jesus has been taken. It's the ladies. We're the the 12 great apostles. Yeah, 11 by then. Thank you. No, it's the ladies who followed. Who's getting ready for, for doing something about the dead body of Jesus? No, it's the ladies. Who is described as honoring God in the midst of their confusion by obeying the Sabbath and not rushing back to the tomb on the Sabbath and totally missing it. Who's honored that? It's the ladies. Again and again, the ladies rescue the rest of us guys from looking like twits. I'm going to move on from there. I don't, know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever wondered what it was actually like to, to have been a disciple of Jesus in that period where Jesus was dead. So that Sabbath, a Sabbath was supposed to be a celebration of rest. And this was a Passover. Have you ever thought what it was like? Somebody actually prayed about it at the, uh, the pre-service prayer meeting. It's a profound thing. The sense of hopelessness And more than that, not just the savior of the world, but the creator of the world is dead in the tomb. Uh, Yeah, it kind of boggles my mind a little bit. But the thing I want you to notice from the passage we just read is the fact that uh, Luke describes this as the day of preparation and the Sabbath was about to begin. Those are two different things. It wasn't preparation for the Sabbath. It was preparation for the Passover. 
John's Gospel brings us out, especially talking about the fact that Jesus died just as the uh, lambs were being slaughtered. This is what it's referring to. The preparation for the Passover meal, and it was a Sabbath. Just remember, the Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday. It doesn't start on, on, the, on Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. It's, so it was a Friday that we were, we're looking at. And it was not just any Friday. It was the Passover Friday. So it's easy to look at this as just a set of incredible coincidences. But I don't believe it is. I don't believe it's coincidence at all. I believe that it's the plan and purpose of God working itself out in history through what God prophesied and prepared in the culture and the, um, the, the, the lifestyle of ancient Israel. So what do I mean by that? I mean Jesus chose when and where he was going to die. That's a bold statement. John 10, verses 17 and 18. This is why the Father loves me, because... I lay down my life so that I may take it, take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from the Father. No, Jesus, you didn't. Others came and took you, and they murdered you. They executed you. Jesus says, no. I know what's about to happen. That's why the garden was the garden of Gethsemane was so hectic. That's why Jesus prayed, "Lord, if there is another way, can can I not take it?" It wasn't because he didn't know what God's will was or what the plan was or he had forgotten or he got sidetracked or he wanted he was expressing his absolute full humanity in that moment. He knew what saying yes to the Father was going to cost him personally. And he said, I'd really rather not, but it's not what I, about what I want. It's about what you want, Lord. And Hebrews tells us, 12 tells us, that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. In other words, it wasn't the, the cross that he didn't suddenly get a revelation of how to enjoy the cross. That to me sounds like blasphemy. What he did was he got the revelation of what the cross was going to bring in yours and my life and millions and billions of others who would put their faith in him because of what he had done for all of us. He laid down his life. He chose Passover to be the time, excuse me, to be the time when he would be revealed. He chose it deliberately, the plan and purpose of God being worked out. It looked like an absolute defeat and failure. Another dead Messiah. There's hints of others even in the scripture. But that which seemed like absolute disaster was not the end of the story. So why the Passover? 
I already mentioned that God had encoded in the history, in the, in the feasts specifically, I'm going to focus on now, the plan, his plan and purpose. And it's, it's not, it's not a, an accident that he calls them feasts, festivals. Festival comes from festive, and festive is about feasting, and feasting is about celebrating. So these were times of celebration as they remembered. And the big one was Passover. Why do I say it was the big one? Because God showed Moses that they should re, um, what's the right, reconstitute, reformulate their calendar with the first day of the first month as Passover. So my background was in IT and uh, trying to work with dates and times in uh, computers is really astonishingly different because everybody knows that now is uh, 10.14 on April the whatever. But in different parts of the world, this same time is a different time. Maybe you live in a different time zone. And maybe it's not the, what does my watch say? Oh, that's convenient, it's hidden behind the, the long hand. That uh, today is the 27th of April. See, I told you. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have just, so today is the 17th of April. If you're, if you're living in Israel right now, it's not the 17th of April. I don't know what it is. If you're living in the, the something of some unpronounceable month's name that you've probably never heard of. If you're living in the Far East, there are places that use different calendars. But for, the, for Israel, Moses told, God told Moses, this day when we celebrate the Passover is the first day of the first month. This is the starting point of your calendar. And this was the date Jesus chose. And God, because it was his plan from before time, encoded that in the Passover. And you know what's even more amazing is that the Passover is a real thing in its own right. It was a real deliverance out of real bondage. But that was only a foreshadowing of the greater reality that is Jesus. So whatever it was, three million slaves coming out of Egypt, crossing over the, the Red Sea miraculously, and God miraculously delivering them from the Egyptian army and giving them um, a, a national identity and how to live. This was the foreshadowing of the greater reality that is in Jesus. A greater sense of identity, not just national, but an eternal identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. This was the moment Jesus chose. And this was the moment that he had already encoded in the history of Israel. It's a very powerful thing. But that's not the only festival that that passage that hopefully is up there in uh, Leviticus 23 talks about. So it starts about reorganizing the calendar around 
Passover. That's the first of the month Adar. I think that's how you pronounce it. He says, the next day you're going to have another festival. The festival of unleavened bread. It's like a Passover Mark 2. And then, the following day after that, you are going to count off seven Sabbaths. So that's seven weeks. So seven times seven is? Well done, 49. And because he deliberately said, you start the next day, it's 49 plus one, which is? Now the word 50 in Greek is Pentecost. Pentecost, it literally just means 50. And when the Old Testament was translated into Greek in the 3rd century BC, they gave it this name of Pentecost, 50 days. The Hebrew calls it first fruits. So you have Passover, where you, um, where you remember the deliverance from Egypt. You have the festival of unleavened bread the next day. The following day, you bring the first cutting of the first sheaf of, of the produce of that year to the priest. From that day, you count 50 days and you come to first fruits, which is the celebration of the bringing of the sheaf. So, the bringing in of that first sheaf, you know, that thing, that stack of grain, was a declaration of faith that Pentecost would come, that the celebration of first fruits would come. So, this I believe is why Jesus chose Passover. Because Passover dealt with the past, but it was a promise of what was still to come and still to be celebrated at first fruits at Pentecost. So that's why Passover is the catalyst for Pentecost. That's where it's all going. That's the flow of history. That's why Jesus and the Father, and the Holy Spirit chose to reveal to us in the festivals this timing, and that's why Jesus laid down his life at Passover, not the day before the preparation day, not the day after uh, Passover had happened, but on the day of, of preparation. So Pentecost is the celebration of the fruit of the promised land. It's God's faithfulness in the old and the new. There is a flow to history and it all comes together in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension and then him sending the Holy Spirit. So there is a flow to history. It's God's plan and purpose being worked out. We have these incredible pictures which are both literal and refer back to other literal things that paint a picture of God's sovereign, gracious, glorious, and good control of where he's taking us. But it is, it is this amazing thing of God's hand upon his people. So I want to, as I kind of draw this all together, I want to remind us of a few things. Because if God is able to do this in Jesus and it reflects his purpose and, and plan and it shows us that there is a flow to history, 
What does that mean for us? It means that if he can do that for Jesus and in Jesus, he can do that for those who are for Jesus and in Jesus. That's you and me. He can, and I'm bold to say is, working out his purpose and plan in you and me who are in Jesus. Why? Because he did it in Jesus. Not accidentally. He didn't make the best plan that he could. It certainly might have looked that way on that uh, preparation, particularly on, on that Sabbath day after Jesus was dead and then in the tomb. But it, that wasn't the reality. There was a, a resurrection coming. There was an ascension coming. So I want to challenge you with this. In the words of Psalm 37, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Or as I think the old King Jimmy said, he will make your paths straight. He has designed his plan. It's a perfect plan. It was designed from before the foundation of the world. We know it's perfect and we know it works because we see Jesus. And we see how he's worked it out in Jesus. But if we are in Christ, in the way Ephesians talks about it, in other words, if we have committed our ways, all our ways to him, then we can have that same confidence that he's working his plan out in us. But we have to keep our focus on him. Because our natural our natural inclinations are to continue to make it about me. Why? Because I'm experiencing this right now. <laughs> Lord, I commit my ways to you. And I know that you will line up my experience with your eternal plan. So I encourage you with Psalm 37 verse 5, commit your ways to him. We look to the Old Testament as a pattern of God's involvement and faithfulness with his people. But it was fulfilled in Christ, in him. And he is still working out his plan in Christ, in you and in me, right here, right now, right today. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if any of these is true of you, by faith, I'd like to ask you to stand and we're going to pray together. So if there's something you're holding on to right now that you believe is the Lord's plan and will for you, commit it to the Lord by standing now. If you've been patiently standing on something that God has already spoken to you, in faith, I also encourage you to stand now as a sign of that faith, whether it's a big thing, or a small thing. And also if you're not at that place right now, in other words, if you're not trusting God for something specific right now, but you are embracing the eternal plan of God in your life and you're committing your ways to him, I encourage you, stand now. And I'd like to lead us in prayer as we commit our ways to the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday, remembering that God was working out his perfect plan 
in Jesus. And God wants to work out his perfect plan in you because you are in Christ. It's all about Jesus. First of all, I, I just want to pray. If you, if you haven't yet committed your, yourself fundamentally to Jesus, now's the time to put that right. You can do that simply and honestly and with integrity now by just saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I know that I need you. And so I receive you right now as both Savior and Lord, dealing with the old and giving me confidence in the new. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Father, as we stand before you, those who you describe us as by faith being in Christ. First of all, Lord, I pray for those who are committing their ways to you. Lord, maybe it's, you've given us great ideas and we've just gone off without actually committing them. To, right now, we commit them to you. Every single one of them, Lord, we commit them to you. Father, where there's fear that you might say no, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you that your perfect love drives out all fear. So we commit our ways to you. Lord, for those who are standing in faith right now, but they haven't yet seen the victory, Lord, we thank you that you are working out your perfect will even in our lives, even when we're not so great at being compliant. We thank you for that incredible dimension of your sovereignty. Lord, grant us the grace to persevere under pressure because we want to see your victory, not our plan. So thank you, Lord, for the promise. And thank you, Lord, for, for those who are standing but haven't yet seen the manifestation in the natural. Lord, each one of us, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our ways to you. Help us to refocus, to know that it's all about you and that Christ in me is somehow the hope of glory. We want to be found in you. In the midst of our celebrations, in the midst of our challenges, even as we're persevering on the flat, boring road, as it sometimes seems, we want to be found in Christ. And so we, we, obey, us, we obey your word, embrace Psalm 37, and commit all our ways and ourselves to you. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.